online. There we go. I kind of like look, look like an old Godzilla film, kind of talking and, and nothing there. So, all right. You can all hear me now? We good? All right. How are we feeling today? Good? All right. Good. All right. All three of you. That's awesome. Woo. All right. We started, last week, we started a brand new series on the seven churches of Revelation. And last week, we talked about the church in Ephesus. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, Jesus, uh, at, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, before you get all the judgments and all the, uh, all, all the wild things that Hollywood could never come close to capturing, by the way, on, no CGI could, could do it justice. But before all that takes place, Jesus dictates letters to seven different churches uh, located in the area of Asia. And that's how uh, the book of John kind of kicks things off. I'm, not, I'm sorry, John kicks off the book of Revelation that way. And we are now at the second letter that I want to share with you today. Last week was Ephesus. This week we're going to look at the church in Smyrna. Smyrna. And here's what I've titled this message. Keeping your sanity in an insane world. I maybe think that might be timely. Yeah. Uh, how do we how do we deal with trying to live this thing out? Trying to trying to live out our faith in God. How do we deal with that successfully in the midst of a world that is kind of crazy? And, and I think some of you might agree with me that right now we live in a world that's a little crazy. Certainly not, certainly not Jesus-friendly. Not right now. And this church in Smyrna could actually identify with that kind of a culture. And so I think that this is a pretty timely moment for us to take a look. Because it's, it's one thing if life kind of happens to you, but the culture is good, right? If the culture is Jesus-friendly, if the culture is positive, if things are going great in our country, in our culture, in our communities, that's one thing. But then when you're trying to live this out and life gets a little messy, and then on top of that, you're in the midst of some crazy around you, how do we as Christians respond to that thing? How do we as followers of Jesus Christ respond to that sort of of a moment, of a culture, of an experience. I want to share that with you. Because I'm not so sure that the, that the body of Christ has gotten this right all the time. <laughs> and I'd like to show you what Jesus had to say to a group that might be in our shoes as well. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read this? Revelation chapter 2, we're going to go to we're going to start at verse 8 and going to go to verse 11, okay? If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along with me on the screen, and uh, we'll read this together. Here we go. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, 
yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Let's pray. Jesus, um, I pray that your word would speak to us today very plainly, uh, and that it would meet us again right where we're at. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. I pray that we would look to you and what your word has to say. And Lord, help us to obey what your word says. And God will thank you and give you all the thanks and all the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all of this, and we all said amen. 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 You may be seated. All right. Chances are, uh, very few of you have brushed up on your Smyrna trivia today. Is that fair to say? Okay. If I were to ask you to describe Smyrna, um, you probably would not be able to do so. Thankfully, this is why we come to church, by the way. We come to church so we could learn a little bit deeper what God's Word has to say, and it speaks to us that way. You're going to find that, by the way, in all seven of these letters, including this one. So let me, uh, let me share some things about Smyrna that will kind of lend itself to what Jesus had to say to this group of followers. You ready? Smyrna lay almost due north of Ephesus, so it was about 40 miles north of the church that we talked about last week. Okay, so basically from here, let's say to Cleveland, maybe one of the suburbs of Cleveland, same distance. The city itself was exceptionally beautiful and really large. It had a population of 200,000 people, so it's a pretty big city. It ranked with Ephesus and some other cities as the, what was called the first of Asia. Smyrna was a wealthy city where education, especially in the sciences and in, the me- and, and in medicine, flourished. Smyrna repeatedly sided with Rome in different periods of history, and it earned, because of that, earned special privileges as a free city and was self-governed under the emperor Tiberius and successive emperors. Hang with me. Hang with me. Smyrna was also a center of emperor worship. I want to say this again. Smyrna was a center of emperor worship. Smyrna was the place that you went to worship Caesar. Tiberius, and all the successive emperors, that's where you went. It was a hot spot for emperor worship. They won that privilege over 11 other cities from the Roman Senate. In fact, in AD 23, they built the first temple there in honor of Tiberius. Under uh, Domitian, 
emperor worship became so forced for every Roman citizen that they were threatened with death if they didn't worship the emperor. Once every year, a citizen had to burn incense on the altar to the godhead of Caesar, after which he was issued a certificate for doing so. So you burned incense to the emperor, you got a certificate. Seems like an uneven trade, but I digress. In fact, a citizen was required to burn a pinch of incense and literally say, Caesar is Lord. This is the church in the city that Jesus is dictating this letter to. Most of the Christians refused to do this. And so living as a Christian was a very dangerous and a very perilous thing to do in Smyrna. The great prophet or church father, Polycarp, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't, he was burned alive at the age of 86 as the 12th martyr of Smyrna. And his words have echoed through the ages. If you Google Polycarp, you will see this quote that I'm about to read to you. 86 years have I served Christ, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? There was a very large and very hostile Jewish community at Smyrna, and they were primarily the ones that were responsible for Polycarp's death. So get this, to be a Christian in this city, you had to contend with the forces of emperor worship and the forces of a very hostile Jewish crowd, all of them against you for worshiping Jesus. How many of you would agree that that is an insane world to live in? Now, I take a look at our culture today and know we are not being made to be forced to confess someone else's name as Lord, at least not yet. We are not being forced to do much of anything yet, but I will tell you that the freedoms that we have as children of Jesus Christ are constantly threatened here in this country. This, as I said before, this is not a Jesus-friendly culture. Now, listen, I am not telling you that you need to be against the culture. We don't run away from the culture. If you are filled with God's Holy Spirit, you are called to change the culture, not hide from it. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That's the calling that Jesus has on us. But how do we live this thing out? We live in a world where we can actually offend a biological man for calling him a man. I was at the bowling alley Friday. Some guy with, I'm hoping it was a costume, some guy with a dress came in there. Standing there, I'm like, hey, 
I didn't say, hey. <laughs> I thought, well, that's a first at the bowling alley. But we live in this, and, and, and our values, our biblical values, they're, they're questioned. They're, they're, we are told that they're obsolete. We are told that they're ridiculous. We're, 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 we're told that they're antiquated. We're, we, we, we are actually made fun of for obeying God's word. Truly, we live in an insane world. And, and by the way, again, I will tell you that I am not, I am not telling you to run away from this world. I'm calling for you to change it. But let's also be reminded that Jesus is coming soon. Oh, Jesus is coming soon. And one day, he's just going to take us all away from this thing. I'm telling you, folks, I think his time is near. I think the time is coming soon for Jesus to take his church home. Do you believe that today? Hallelujah. No more pain, no more disease, no more taxes, no more terrible football seasons. It's all going to be great. Actually, I'm having a good one. So how do we live out our faith when the culture is so very much against it? How do we do that? Let me give you three directions that I think can help us today. You ready? If you're not, here we go anyway. (laughs) Number one, would you remember who Jesus is? Remember who Jesus is. Now, some, some of you, especially those of you who've been serving Jesus for a while, you might be tempted to say, well, duh, I know who Jesus is, okay? You know, here comes Christmas, then there's... And, and, and. Okay, let's, let's remind ourselves what the, the basic structure of all these letters is, okay? Jesus identifies who he is. He describes himself to the recipients of the letter. He tells them what they're doing right, tells them what they're doing wrong, shows them how to fix it, and then he gives them some incentive for doing so. And that is pretty much the setup for all seven of these letters. And he starts the same way here to the church in Smyrna. Look at verses 8 and 9, and I'll show you. Here's what he says. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words. Look how Jesus describes himself. These are the words of him who is the first and the last. Don't skim over these. Who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Huh. Now, after that description that I gave you of Smyrna, those words make a little bit more sense, don't they? And Jesus, before he goes anywhere... He describes something is wrong with my microphone. I don't know, but thankfully there will be no microphones in heaven either. Can you say amen? Oh, okay. So Jesus kicks off and, 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 and he starts this letter not by trying to build himself up. Okay, Jesus is not saying, hmm, I get, yeah, th- this, is, this is who I am. Ta-da! He, he's not trying to impress with his resume. It's not for Jesus' benefit that he gives verses 8 and 9 here. Who's it, 
Who's it for? It is for the recipients of this letter that they need to be reminded once again who Jesus is. And I will tell you, 2,000 years later, the church, capital C, still needs to be reminded of who Jesus is. And specifically, in this passage of Scripture, we see some descriptions that Jesus gives of himself that I think are very important. Number one, he is the risen Christ. See, this is important. Because if you're feeling overwhelmed, whether it be with our culture or maybe it's, it's personally, okay? Maybe it's on a personal level and you're feeling overwhelmed. Sometimes your fears and sometimes those things that overwhelm you, your situations, they can seem, they can seem in our finite minds, they can seem bigger than Jesus. Have you ever had a situation in your life that seemed bigger than your God, if you're being honest with yourself? Oh, we know better. We've grown up singing, he's got the whole world in his hands. We, we've, we've grown up being taught these lessons, but then, then that issue comes. Then that fear comes. And that seems so insurmountable. That seems so difficult. And Jesus starts things off by telling this church that is being persecuted from the left and from the right. This church that is facing massive persecution, he says, hey church, I've died, but I came back to life. I'm the resurrection and the life. He also says, I am the first and the last. I am bigger than your fears. I am more powerful than your fears. If the Lord is more powerful than death, then he is more powerful than than our fears. Can you say amen to that? So let's remind ourselves exactly who Jesus is. He is the risen Christ, the one who rose from the dead. That's why that is the foundation of our faith right there, that Jesus rose from the dead. If we don't believe that, then the Bible says that we don't even have any hope whatsoever. But because, as we sing here once in a while, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Why? Because I serve a Savior who has risen from the dead. But what else do we discover about Jesus? Yeah, we know that he's the risen Christ, but here's the deal. He also sees our issues. He sees our issues. He said, I know your afflictions. I know your poverty, but you're rich. He said, I know that you're being persecuted. And this is important for us to realize. Because I've had people tell me, because they're going through some tough stuff, that they think that Jesus might be oblivious to what we're going through. And he's not. He knows exactly what I'm going through. In fact, he knows it better than I do. He sees our issues. He sees our pain. 
He sees the pressure that we face. He sees the struggle it is to live for him. He sees it. He knows it. He understands it. He is not surprised. Jesus is not surprised by anything. Tell yourself that maybe every day. Jesus is never shocked. He's never surprised. Jesus is never caught off guard. Jesus knew what was going on in the lives of those followers of his at that very difficult city. And he was wide awake to it. He was very much aware of it. I'm reminded of Psalm chapter 34, verse 15, says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. If you're facing some difficulty today, if you're facing some problems, if you're facing some Issues today that are just so hard that life has gotten difficult. I want you to know that Jesus is very much aware of it. The risen Christ is aware of it. And he hears your cry. So number one, let's remember who Jesus is. Number two, I got three instructions. The first one was remember who Jesus is. Secondly, realize who you are. I will tell you that Jesus gives a bit of a reality check in verses 9 and 10. He gives a reality check. Take a look at what he has to say. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. Verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Okay, now some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's that coming from? This is where Jesus is supposed to say, I'm going to lift you out of it. You won't go through nothing. And that's not what he says. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. Hallelujah. How many of you, that's your life verse for the day, huh? Woo! What's God telling you? (laughs) I'm going to jail. (laughs) The devil will put some of you in a prison to test you. You'll suffer persecution. I mean, Jesus gets real specific with this church. He says, you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. I don't know what that looked like. I'm not even sure what he's referring to, but Jesus was that specific as to what they could expect. And then he says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Hmm. 21st century American Christianity would not accept this letter from Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. Shouldn't I confess, profess, possess, name, claim, frame? What's going on? Where's my, where's my five easy steps book? On how, and, and, what, and, and just plain and simple. And I'm not trying to criticize any other preacher out there. But I want you to know this. Number one, 
you are not defined by your problems. Jesus said, in this world, you will, you will have what? You will have troubles. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But you are not defined by the problem that you're facing. That is not your identity. Well, pastor, that's, that's all I've known myself to be. Jesus refuses to label you as a victim. That's not who you are. Some of us think that we were born with a, with a target on our back, and Jesus is kind of firing the arrows at us when he gets in a bad mood. Boom, there you go, leprosy. Boom, flat tire. Boom, overdrawn checking account. Gotcha. That's not him. And let, let, let's not minimize what some of us are going through in here. But those issues that you face, that is not what defines you. Jesus said, I know about your poverty. Okay? So, in this rich city, he knew about their poverty. He said, yet, you're rich. Oh, some of you missed that. See, I know, I know about your physical battle. Oh, but you're strong. I know, I know your family's a train wreck. And you might be the only Christian in there. But I'm not defining you by the train wreck. You, 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 that's not who you are. Do you know what defines you? The cross of Jesus Christ. Not your problems. Not your issues. Not your difficulty. The cross defines who you are. So if you think that you are a victim, not according to Jesus Christ are you a victim. And I know i got to say this once in a while. There's always that handful of people that think that they are the exception to God's word. I know God's word says this, but it, I guess it doesn't apply to me. Don't fall for that lie. Don't fall for that lie. Jesus knows exactly who you are, and your problems do not define who you are in his eyes, nor should they define who you are in your own eyes. You're a child of God. I said, you're a child of God. But here's the reality check. We will face difficulties. How many of you are glad you came to church today? <laughs> so, so Jesus didn't like, Jesus didn't sugarcoat it. He said, I know where you live, and I know what you're going through. 
There's some Jewish people there that are harassing you and persecuting you. That's a church of Satan is what that is. That, Jesus' words. I know that you're surrounded by this emperor worship. I know that you're going through some difficult stuff. I know in the midst of this rich, wealthy, educated city that you're in poverty. He said, yet, yet, I know who you really are. And that's why he could identify to them that, yes, they were going to have problems. They were going to have difficulty. I am here to tell all of you today. Let's not make this like a TikTok video, okay? But you will have problems. God's word says it. Look at Philippians 1.29. Paul says this to a whole church. He says, For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Woo! James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Now this is our attitude when hard times come. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Hear me. Jesus has a plan through your pain. I'll try this side. Jesus has a plan through your pain. Aren't you glad that Jesus is not in heaven sitting on the throne and saying, I got nothing. He always has something. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose behind my pain. He's got a direction with my difficulty. And he wants you to be reminded of that. He's not trying to punish you. He knows that with him, you can get through this. Not only did Jesus see the struggle, he also sees the answer. He says, be faithful to the end, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Be faithful. Be faithful. I see the finish line. I see the end result. How many of you, you hate spoilers when you're watching like a movie or something like that. Or, or, let me ask you this, how many of you are like my wife? My wife has to know the ending to the show before it even starts. Let me see your hands. Are you one of those people? Nobody wants to admit it now. Okay, that's great. Jessica back there, that's awesome, good. Okay, I, I like the suspense. I really do, I really do. But it'll be nothing for my wife to ask me in the chair next to me, does he die? Well, just wait and sign out. I need to know, does he die? Just watch. Well, I got to tell you, spoiler alert. Jesus is on the throne and he will reward your faithfulness. So you don't have to be held in suspense. Jesus has you. Jesus has got you. And if you're having a hard time living this whole faith thing out in the world that God has put you in, Jesus says, be faithful. 
be faithful. I see the end result. I see what can happen. I know that the best is going to come. Just be faithful. Can you say amen? Here's, here's the third instruction, and then I'm going to let you go. The third one is this. Reset your perspective. So we need to remember who Jesus is. We need to realize who we are. And then we need to reset our own perspective. Now, what do I mean by that? Because this is a very important point to close on. Starting verse 10 and 11, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. So there's the reality check. But then he says, be faithful. Even to the point of death, be faithful. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Look at verse 11. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So if we're victorious, we need not fear death here on earth, nor do we need to fear death eternally. How thankful are you are for that today? See, here's what Jesus did. He changes the perspective. See what he did? Because it would be, temp- it'd be tempting for somebody hearing this letter, oh, jail? Oh, no. Those 10 days are bad for me. So that's not good. And, and what, what does Jesus do? Jesus takes their attention. Oh, man, this is so big. I hope I can. Lord, help me. He takes their attention away from their comfort and their circumstances here on earth. So he takes them away from the earthly perspective. And what does he do? He changes it to an eternal perspective. So he goes from earthly perspective to eternal perspective. And see, how, how, how do you live this out? How do you live this out in the world that we're at? Especially when you're going through some stuff. How do you live this out? Because you know, you know that this is not all there is. You know, you know that beyond what's going on right now, there is an eternal perspective that I must have. And when you have an eternal perspective, church, understand that's going to affect the way that you talk. That's going to affect the way that you work. That's going to affect the way that you deal with people. That's going to affect the way that you handle yourself in your your personal life. That's going to change everything because you realize that these however many years that God has given me here on earth, that is just a drop in the bucket compared to all of eternity. And Jesus turns their attention from the earthly to the eternal. And that's how we live this stuff out. Our focus is not on the earthly anymore, it's on the eternal. When I deal with people, if I get treated badly by somebody at the restaurant today, oh, God forbid, the server doesn't fill my drink. I'm not going to blow my witness 
because of that. They saw you praying over your food, so let's keep the attitude right there, Bubba. What you need to do is understand that everybody you come in contact with, you have an opportunity to change eternity and to make a difference in eternity. I don't care if it's the DoorDash guy. I don't care if it's your boss, the teacher, the person you go to school with, the person you go to work with. We need an eternal perspective for all that we do. So Jesus flips this whole letter upside down and he talks about what they're going through as far as earth goes. But then he makes it eternal. Book of James. Jonathan, if you can help me. James 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Well, you, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your, li- what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. What is that? What is that? That is eternal perspective. That's eternal perspective. If God gives me another week and I got a busy week ahead of me, then I'm going to live that thing out with the strength that He gives me, knowing that every single day, every single hour is a gift from God. Why? Because I have an eternal perspective. When I'm dealing with somebody, it's an eternal perspective. <laughs> There's a guy that I see at a drive thru, not that I go through a lot of drive thru's. <laughs> But there's a guy that I see at one of the drive throughs here in town, and he knows my name, I know his. And I always find myself saying, Lord, I don't want to blow it. I don't want to be in some foul mood because my food didn't get right. But I want Vincent to see Jesus every time I say hi to him. I only get 20 seconds with him. But I'm obsessed with the eternal really am. I'm obsessed with the eternal. Knowing that everything I do could make a difference in eternity, good or bad. And listen to me. Because some of you are like, well, what if I die? I read this, and even if the worst happens, it's still not the worst. Be a homecoming. homecoming where I get to see Jesus we get to hear well done man that day to hear my Lord say well done knowing that I haven't always gotten it right knowing that I haven't always done my best. I haven't always been faithful. But to hear him say, well done, that, that's, that's my perspective. That's what keeps me sane. That's what helps me keep my sanity in an insane world. How? I know who Jesus is. And I never stop believing that. I know who I am. 
especially compared to him. And I know what my perspective should be. I'm not going to worry about all this more than I'm consumed with eternity. How about you? Do you find yourself sitting right in the front row of, well, for you all, the back row of, of Smyrna? You know who you are. Got to get here early to get a good back seat, right? You find yourself right, right in the middle of that church. And th- there's, some, there's some pressures that you're facing. The, the culture around you kind of shakes you up a little bit. Not to mention what's going on personally. Jesus' simple instructions would be, remember who I am, Jesus. Realize who you are. And at all times, reset your perspective from an earthly to an eternal. Will you stand with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we pray? Jesus, just as you loved this church in Smyrna, you love every person within the sound of my voice. So Jesus, if you were to write a letter, to dictate a letter to the church in Talmadge, you would remind us exactly who you are because we need to be reminded of that. We, you would remind us that, yeah, we're going to face problems, but it's nothing you can't handle. And, and you would remind us to get a different perspective on things. And so, Lord, I ask you that today that you would speak to your people right where they're at. With your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, I just want to ask today, what's God saying to you? Do you just need to sit in his presence and be reminded who he is? Do do, do you need to go ahead and receive that reality check as to who you are, but, but would you understand that God's not left you? He's not abandoned you? He is right there with you, and he says, okay, shift your focus now. Shift your perspective. Let's not dwell on how comfortable you are. Let's not dwell on that. Instead, let's be consumed with eternity. Maybe today, before you leave here, you just need to get alone in his presence just for a few moments and say, Lord, help me to follow these instructions. And if there's one of these that's been a little bit more difficult for you to follow than others, would you pray about that? And I promise you, Jesus is not going to be offended by that at all. He already knows. What he wants to do is help you. You can keep your sanity when your world is insane. He is here to rise above the chaos, to let you know there's a purpose behind your problems. He wants to meet with you. So I'm going to pray. When I say amen, I want to give you a chance just to get along with him. That might be at your seat. 
It might be this front altar area you might want to pray. We're just going to make this a place of prayer. And here's what I'm going to ask. If when God releases you, if we could fellowship in the lobby as opposed to in here so we don't disturb anyone who might be praying. But we're going to make this a place of prayer. And we're going to ask Jesus to help us. And we know that he can. So Lord, we come to you. We thank you for your word. God, just four verses, but they spoke such a profound truth. Lord, would you, would you speak to us? Remind us who you are and who we are. And God, help us to reset our whole perspective on things. And Lord, I'll thank you for what's accomplished in every life that's here in person and those watching online. Have your way now, I pray, as we spend a moment with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. If you need to get along with God, feel free to do so right now. If God's released you, you can consider yourself dismissed. God bless you.